the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. You know, you and I are going to be so overwhelmed that we're in the presence of the Lord that the memories of the painful, uh, regrettable, shameful, sinful, uh, grievous things, we just, we're not going to have. It's just going to be taken away. He's making everything new. And so that's good also for those of you who continually punish yourself for your past. Even though you know Christ has forgiven you, you're harder on yourself than Jesus is. As Christians, we know our future in heaven, but do we deeply consider what this means to our lives? In today's message, Pastor Gary reminds you of the pure glory in heaven that awaits when you accept His gift of grace. Working towards earthly treasures will get you nowhere, but storing up treasures in heaven will last through all eternity. When you give your heart to Him, your past wiped clean, and you are a new creation through Him. Invest in eternity through God's perfect love and be set free. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 21 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. We have just come through the discussion about the thousand-year reign, the millennial reign of Christ. At the end of the tribulation period, Christ returns, ends the battle of Armageddon, and then he separates the sheep from the goats. That's Matthew chapter 25. He separates the righteous from the unrighteous. And so only at the beginning of the millennium, the righteous will go into that millennial kingdom. Those who survive the tribulation, only the righteous will go into the millennial kingdom. The saints return with Christ, and we help uh, Jesus to govern and to administer uh, over the nations. That's the role and responsibility of the saints. We will rule and reign with them for that thousand-year period. It will be a glorious time on earth like never known before. It will have peace that is unprecedented. It will have joy. People will live longer than normal. Even the Bible says the animal kingdom will be tame and um, people will otherwise continue to live life like normal. They will have jobs, they will go to work, they will have families, they will raise children over that thousand-year period. Uh, During this thousand-year, fortunately, the Bible says that Satan has been bound. He has been cast into the abyss for that thousand-year period of time, thus also contributing to the peaceful factor that is present on the earth, because not only is Jesus, the Prince of Peace, ruling from Jerusalem, and saints ruling and reigning with him, 
But Satan has been bound for that thousand years. So evil and wickedness is very much diminished. Now, people who were born during that thousand years still have a sin nature, so they will still be committing sinful things, but it will be much different, and the world will be much more at peace, not divided governments and divided nations. There will be one king, his name is Jesus, over all nations. It will be one world uh, reign under our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, the Bible says that Jesus will release Satan one last time to deceive the nations. Why? Because everybody who grew up and was born and raised during that thousand years has never really made much of a choice for Christ, seeing as how Satan has been bound. And so Satan is released so that the people have a choice to make at this point. And uh, the Bible says that Satan, unfortunately, it shows how much he is clever and deceptive. He will lead many nations astray. They will gather forces once again to battle against the Lord in Jerusalem. Uh, those who are so inclined to follow the ways of the enemy. And uh, Jesus will put an end to that. That'll be the end of all final battles and wars. And Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where the false prophet and antichrist have already been. That's the end of chapter 19 of Revelation. And all those who join forces with Satan will also be cast into the lake of fire. And so that brings us to the discussion of the lake of fire and the great white throne judgment because the Lord will judge those who opposed him in that final war and all unbelievers will be judged. They will be sentenced and they will also be cast into the lake of fire along with Satan. Satan, the false prophet, and the Antichrist. That was all of chapter 20. But now the good news is, after all of that, a new heaven, and it is a new heaven and a new earth. It's not the present heaven. It's not the present earth. We're going to read here about a whole new heaven and a whole new earth. I'm going to start out by reading just the first eight verses here, chapter 21. So follow along with me as I read. Verse 1, John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give out of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Slash daughters, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their uh, part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So let's pause. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, you don't need to turn, but in Matthew 24, 35, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away. When he said that, he was looking to this day that we're reading about here in Revelation 21, a future time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. The present earth we're living in, 
will be destroyed. The current heaven where God resides and the saints with him will be destroyed. Those things will pass away and God is bringing about a totally new thing, a new earth and a new heaven and a new city on that earth that is referred to here in chapter 21 as the new Jerusalem. Now, Jesus not only spoke of it, the prophet Isaiah spoke of it as well. In Isaiah chapter 65, verses 17 to 19, Isaiah wrote, For behold, speaking from the Lord, God saying, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing, and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard, nor the voice of crying. Isn't that what we just read there in Revelation 21? So even the prophet Isaiah, 700 years before Christ, saw this. God prophetically showed him this, and he writes about it there. The apostle Peter would also write about it in his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, 10 to 13. He wrote, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So this is what's coming. Now, what's interesting is when John writes here in chapter 21, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He references the passing away of the first earth and first heaven back up in chapter 20, just the previous chapter. Look at verse 11. When he wrote, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So what's interesting to note is that it appears in the language, at least in the chronology of events, that this present earth and the present heavens pass away. And then there's a new heaven and a new earth that is revealed. And the question becomes, where are people in relation to the old one passing away before the new one gets here? And what Bible scholars actually believe is that for a short period of time, that God will actually suspend us in space in between the destruction of the old and the creation of the new, which is not anything difficult for God. In fact, the Bible tells us in Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, for by him, and this is specifically speaking about Jesus, By him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Do you know that the present universe is held together because Jesus is holding it together? You know, the earth presently is rotating on its axis at about a 1,000 miles an hour, finishes that rotation within about a 24-hour period. And the earth orbits around the sun at about 67,000 miles per hour to complete that orbiting journey in about 365 days. 
So, you know, if at any point Jesus decides to release his hold, I mean, things would be careening out of control in the universe. But the reason why everything is in order and everything is held together and the earth is rotating on its axis and orbiting around the sun is because all things are held together by Jesus. So guess what? If, in fact, it comes to the time where we are being suspended between the old earth and the new earth, the old heaven and the new heaven, Jesus can handle it. Because he presently handles everything being in control. I want you to try to imagine, though, as we dive in here to chapter 21, and and I'm prepared to teach through the whole chapter, but we'll see how how far we get because I don't want to rush through this. It's important for us to just to try to imagine. You know, there was a song that was written, Imagine, about heaven. And I want you to try to do that. I want you to try to imagine as we're reading through chapter 21 here, a world that that this is describing, where there will be no more sorrow about anything. There's never going to be another bad day for the rest of your life. Nothing to mourn about, no death, no crime, no evil. I mean, we're way past now the millennial period. Satan, false prophet, antichrist, they're all in the lake of fire. Every unrighteous person who's denied Christ in the lake of fire. Everything is brand new at this point. This new heaven and this new earth well, there, where there is no more death, no more crying, no more suffering, no more presence of evil, no more temptation, no more fear, no more bad news, no more crime, nothing bad. And every person you meet will be honest and loving and sincere and likable and truthful, including you. (laughs) That some people can't believe you're going to be like that either. You will only and always experience a perfect, loving, safe, and joyful existence in the presence of the Lord. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to imagine, but it is really hard to grasp. You know, that's why... Paul would write to the Corinthians, No eye has seen and no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him. And then the next verse says, But God has revealed this to us by his Spirit. So you almost just have to, you know, try to grasp it, in it by your spirit because, you know, mentally, this is so beyond our imagination. It's so incredible. The things that are described here in this chapter. And if, if it weren't wonderful enough that you're going to be in this sorrow-free, death-free, pain-free environment where everybody's loving and joyful and everything is safe, if that weren't enough, you'll be also surrounded, it tells us here in chapter 21, by this unspeakable beauty. I mean, just the beauty of this. The Bible describes this heavenly city, which again will become the home for all the saints, as a brilliant, multicolored, dazzling city with streets of gold and gates of pearl. Uh, It tells us here in verse 2 that John says, Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. That's a description that John gives this new city because it's so beautiful. It's with anticipation and the beauty of like how a bride gets all prepped and beautified and ready for that wonderful, you know, wedding day. And, you know, I just, I just remember like it was yesterday. I can remember yesterday standing at the altar and, and Terry was being walked down the back of the church, arm in arm with her dad. And I can remember like it was yesterday, just seeing her come around the corner of the back there and standing at the back of the aisle. And I just thought, how beautiful, all dressed up, how beautiful. And then the second thought was, what am I doing? I have no idea. 
one of those mixed moments of joy and freaking out all at the same time. And John describes this city like a beautiful bride prepared, adorned for her husband. So I'm going to summarize with you as we go through here, chapter 21. I'm going to summarize with you things that, that uh, will be there and things that won't be there. And some of the things that describe this new, this new ultimate home for us. And so um, let's just go a few things uh, through a few things here. And, and I'm going to give them to you in sections uh, so that you can take notes instead of one at a time. But one of the first things that we see here, obviously, is that God will be present because he tells us in verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they will be his people. Now, the word tabernacle there uh, in verse 3 is the same word used in John 1.14 when it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some translations say, and tabernacled among us. It's the same word that is used there in John 1.14 as is used here in Revelation 21.3. The idea is in John 1.14, the word became flesh, God became flesh and dwelt among us, tabernacled among us. That's the idea of what is going to be like in the new heaven. When, when the Lord is just going to be dwelling with us, living among us, walking among us. I mean, this is Jesus. This is a description of Jesus, just his presence with us continually in in the place where we are ultimately going to live here. And and it tells us in in verse 4, number 2 on our list, that death, pain, and all our sorrows will be absent. Now, I do believe this answers the question that many people have. I've been asked this multiple times over the years. Will I know if my loved one is missing who didn't receive Christ as their Savior? And my answer to that is this verse. You know, sometimes uh, memory is a wonderful thing, and sometimes memory is a terrible thing. There's some, you don't have to raise your hands, but there's some things you wish you could forget, right? And, um, and, and so memory is a wonderful thing, and, and we know how devastating, those of you who have, you know, have loved ones who have been hit with Alzheimer's or dementia, and you watch them you know, slowly fade away, and they, and they lose their memory, that can be s- such a horrible thing to watch, and, and no doubt to happen to an individual. But in some ways, having no memory about painful things is a wonderful thing. And when there's no pain and there's no sorrow and there's no suffering and there's no crying in heaven, I think God in his mercy takes away any memories in our minds that would be hurtful or painful or sorrowful. And so I don't think you're going to know who's missing. You know, you and I are going to be so overwhelmed that we're in the presence of the Lord that the memories of the painful, uh, regrettable, shameful, sinful, uh, grievous things we just, we're not going to have. It, it's just going to be taken away. He's making everything new. And so that's good also for those of you who continually punish yourself for your past. Even though you know Christ has forgiven you, you're harder on yourself than Jesus is. You know, Jesus forgives and you don't forgive yourself. And, and so sometimes you torment yourself with your own painful memories. Well, I have good news for you. When you get to heaven, you ain't going to remember that stuff anymore. So if you think that you, you know, it's okay to torment yourself now by revisiting your past, which it it isn't okay, I have good news for you. You won't even remember it when you get into the presence of the Lord. You're going to finally be set free from the shame and the torment of your own past. Because when we get to heaven, death is gone, pain is gone, all our sorrows 
will be absent. No more suffering. No more pain. Now, it's interesting, though, it tells us there um, in verse uh, 4 that, that God will wipe away uh, all our tears from our eyes. And, and then he adds, and there will be no more death or sorrow or, or crying. So, so why are we crying to begin with? You know, I mean, it, it, the verse does start out by saying he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. And, and so I, I have to imagine that this is a different kind of, of crying. Have you ever been in a situation where you're finally so relieved and you've just been exhausted, you know, getting there, that when you finally get to that place, it, you just are overwhelmed with emotion? I think it's going to be something like that. We're finally going to be in the presence of the Lord and, and everything we've been through in our lives and, and all of that, that that we've endured, and, and it finally comes to ultimate fruition and we're just overwhelmed with emotion. I don't think these are necessarily sorrowful tears. These are tears of relief. These are tears of like, finally, it's here. But yet, it's this beautiful picture of Jesus, though, wiping away every tear. Okay, all right, you're finally here. All right, you're relieved. No more crying, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more regrets, no more shame. The former things, notice the end of verse 4, the former things have passed away. It's done. Behold, he makes all things new. That's verse 5. He makes everything new. That's the third thing on our list. He who sat at the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. So everything brand new. This is not, you know, earth, you know, a makeover. This is not, you know, heaven, you know, fixer-upper. This is, this is everything is completely brand new. Fresh slate, brand new beginning, old earth gone Old heaven gone, this is a new heaven, new earth, and this new beautiful city, this new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Number four in our list, it tells us, of course, here that believers will be present. In in verse seven, he says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Again, that's a generic term. It's, It's including sons and daughters, but believers are the ones who will be present. Now, I get this question also a lot. When we all get to heaven, will we still be our own age? Will be different, you know, ages in heaven? And so the Bible's kind of silent on this, but it, it would appear that we're going to be some kind of universal age. You know, it's not going to be like, you know, there's feeble people walking around with walkers. You know, you're going to get a, regi- a, a glorified body. You're going, to, you're going to have a glorified body like Jesus. And with a glorified body means and with a no more suffering and no more dying and no more pain and all of that. So it's going to be you, longevity. It's, it's like time ceases to be. You're in the presence of the Lord. And there are some who believe that there's going to be this universal age of 30. Now, why 30? In Numbers chapter 4... You could not enter priestly service until you were age 30. And by the way, in Numbers chapter 4, it also tells us that mandatory retirement for the priest was age 50. So I, I got to go. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, age 30. And then when Saul became the first king of Israel, he was 30. When David became king of Israel, he was 30. When Jesus' public ministry began, which was typical of a rabbi, it was 30. So... There is, it, it's thought that there will be this universal age. You have to consider, when Adam was created, Adam was not created as a baby. He wasn't in Huggies. He was created as an adult man. And at what age was Adam created? Again, your, your Jewish rabbis would, would say that he was created at the age of 30. There could be this universal age in heaven. 
Now, universal age in heaven being 30, that's good for those of you who are like 70. For those of you who are like 16, bummer. You know what I'm saying to you? But, you know, it is what it is. Then I get this other question. What about little kids? Will, will the little kids still be little or will they automatically be a universal age, you know, with me? And so all of this is unknown. This is all speculative. The Bible doesn't speak about this kind of a thing. Thanks for listening today to Cornerstone Connection. This book of Revelation that you've been studying with Pastor Gary is one that many have studied and analyzed, tried and tried again to pinpoint on a timeline. When will Jesus come? When will these and times events take place? Have they already begun? There are many questions we don't have the answers to, and we won't until they happen. But there are some truths that we can hold on to. These events will happen. Jesus is returning, and he will defeat Satan once and for all. And all those who have made Jesus Lord in their life will be with him for eternity. What a wonderful time that will be. So where does that leave us? It's important to know what's coming so that you can prepare now and trust Jesus for what we don't know. We must give our lives to the Lord, and we need to give others the opportunity to do the same. We're so glad you tuned in for today's study in Revelation. If you'd like to explore more teachings from God's Word that Pastor Gary has shared, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you'll also learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. Come visit us if you're in the area. All the information you need is at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Join us next time for more here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.